Amen, amen. Well, thank you, worship team. Thank you. And it's so good to see all of you here today. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. As you do that, I'm going to uh, start with an introduction that I cut, and then I put back in, and then I cut, and now it's back in. Um, So let's see how this goes. Well, here's the issue. Uh, I, I wondered if I... This thing we're about to talk about before we dive in, I wondered if it was even worth saying. Uh, and then every time I would cut it, I'd walk out and I'd see my neighbors and I'd go, I think it's worth saying. Um, you've heard about the elephant in the room. Sometimes you just got to address it. I think today, before we dive in, let's address the whale in the room. Um, this is the story that, more, more than any other story probably in your Bible, your unbelieving neighbor would point to this story and say, you don't actually believe that, do you? And my neighbors... I would imagine my neighbors are probably, would look at me and they know I'm a pastor and they probably assume that I understand this story to be an allegory, that it didn't actually really happen and so, you know, they wave, they respect me. So let me just put my cards on the table. I'm a 21st century uh, educated, somewhat man. I believe this happened. I believe there was a man named Jonah and he was thrown off a boat and a whale big fish swallow him and he lived for three days and three nights and he got spat on the shore and he preached to Nineveh. I believe that that actually happened. And if any of my neighbors are watching right now, their jaws are on the floor and they're saying, no way. It's true. I believe it. And here's the thing. It would be easier to deal with the whale in the room if we just conceded and said, yeah, it's it's certainly an allegory. It's a story trying to get us to mobilize in mission. We're not meant to read it literally. And we could do that, except that Jesus didn't do that. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is interacting with the scribes and the Pharisees, and he says this, some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Pause there. So Jesus says this thing, the Son of Man being three days and three nights on the earth, is historically about to happen. Just like this thing with Jonah historically happened. And he goes on to say, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So I just want you to see that Jesus is referencing the story of Jonah, even the part where he's swallowed by a large fish. He's referencing this as history. The Ninevites are historical, he says. In the same way that Solomon is historical and the queen of Sheba is historical. According to Jesus, this happened. According to Jesus, this is a miracle. And according to Jesus, this was preparing us for a greater miracle that was to come. And as a Christian, if, if Jesus says that this happened, that's enough for me. right? We, we are the miracle people. We believe in miracles. We believe that God created the universe with a word. right? We believe that all of the rules that govern our universe were actually authored by God which means he's not bound to them, which means he can do whatever he pleases to prepare his people, to teach his people, even keep a man named Jonah alive in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights, which according to Jesus is exactly what God did. 
And so I, I thought about cutting that because I thought, do we even need to say that? But the reality is, we've got our, our little ones, our kids are going to grow up and they're going to say, mom and dad, do you believe this? And your neighbor's going to say, do you believe it? And I just want to say, as Christians, the answer's got to be yes. The answer's got to be yes. So let's, let's leave our skepticism aside. Let's remember that we worship a God who works miracles. And let's remember that this isn't a story about a fish. So we're not going to focus on the fish. This is a story about mercy. So let's see this mercy. To that end, I want you to look with me. We're going to begin in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and read all the way to the end of chapter 2. Hear now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, living, and active word to us today. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you weren't here last week, I want to give you a quick recap. If you were, let me just remind you afresh. We left off last week with the rebellious, reluctant prophet sinking into the sea. God had sent him on an impossible assignment. He had sent him to to preach to the city of Nineveh and to call them to repent. But Jonah hated the city of Nineveh. Uh, The city of Nineveh, it was a prominent city in the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians taxed the Israelites and they used horrible terrorist tactics to, to keep the people living in fear Jonah had every reason, humanly speaking, to hate Nineveh. They were a people who, in his eyes, did not deserve mercy. Before we go any further, I want to just camp on that word, make sure we all know what we're talking about when we say mercy, because that's what this is all about, mercy. What is it? One counselor, Mark McMinn, gives this brief but helpful definition. He says, mercy is a particular sort of kindness. Mercy is kindness to those who do not deserve it. That's a good definition of mercy, and that's a good definition of what lies at the heart of this text. Jonah is running from God because he doesn't want God to show kindness to the people of Nineveh because Jonah doesn't think they deserve it, right? So he's angry about mercy. He hates God's mercy. He's rebelling against mercy, and so God puts him in this three-day and three-night timeout in the belly of the fish to teach him a lesson about mercy. And it's there in that place that that Jonah, reflecting on the the grace of God, begins to marvel at mercy. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at this psalm, 
uh, which, you know, it's like a poem that Jonah has composed in the belly of the fish. I don't think he was writing uh, in there. I don't think that he had any parchment, but he's composing this psalm for three days and three nights and singing and praying to the Lord as he marvels at mercy. And so we're going to look at this psalm and we want to marvel with him. In the belly of a whale, at the bottom of the sea, after a fit of rebellion, Jonah felt like he had disqualified himself from receiving the kindness of God. Before we go any further, I wonder if you've ever felt that way. Like you've done too much, like you've fallen too far, like your rebellion has gone too deep. That's where Jonah's at. And it's there, in that place of utter despair, that Jonah's finally helped to see how incredible God's mercy is. It's there that he's helped to see that it is very good news that we serve a merciful God. And as he's marveling at God's mercy, the first thing he marvels at is this crazy truth. God hears. That's the first thing he celebrates. Look at verse 2. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Sometimes I think we lose sight of the miracle it is that our God hears us. Chelsea has not read the sermon, but she, she prayed that today. Thank you for praying that, Chelsea. It's pretty incredible that our God hears us. When you think about how awe-inspiring he is and how not so awe-inspiring we are by comparison. David, he was looking up at the stars. and You remember he wrote this famous psalm. He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers... The moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Right? David's lying in the field looking up and saying, I, can't, I cannot believe that the God who hung the stars in place cares about little old David lying in a field. That is unfathomable. Well, if David can say that lion in a field, then how much more Jonah, rebellious Jonah, hateful Jonah, in the belly of a fish Jonah, with seaweed wrapped around his head, the, the same Jonah who, who was willing to die so that the people of Nineveh would perish, the same Jonah who took a nap on the bottom of the boat while all his crewmates were in danger. Jonah's in this place, and he's, he's saying, God, I cannot believe that you hear me. Right? I cannot believe that the God of the universe is listening to me here in the belly of this fish. This man, this wicked, rebellious, disobedient man. Only after he plummeted to the most desperate of situations, finally comes to a point where he's ready to cry out to God. And before we press forward, I want to say, listen, some of us have been there. Not in the belly of the fish. But some of us have been to rock bottom, haven't we? To that place where you'd say, I can't. There's no way that God would hear me here. You're sitting on the bathroom floor looking at the pregnancy test, wondering what you're going to say to mom and dad. You wake up someplace you don't recognize. You don't remember what happened the night before. You don't, you don't know how you even became the person that you are. You're staring at the computer screen, thinking about what you've done, thinking about the fact that this is going to cost you your family and you know it, but you can't stop. And you find yourself in this place of utter despair, thinking, I am so unlovable, there's no way that God would ever listen to me. Jonah was in that place, surrounded by absolute darkness, seaweed wrapped around his head, devoid of hope. But, but it's there in his distress when he finally thinks, I'm going to call out to God. One commentator notes, Jonah had delayed his prayer until it seemed too late for prayer. But was it too late? 
Is it ever too late? Is it ever too late to call upon the Lord? Does God ever say, hey, oh, now you want to talk? Now you want to cry out to me? Let me just read verse 2 again. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. God heard him. He hears his people when they cry out to him. That's the first thing that we learn here. That's the first thing Jonah marvels at. And if you don't see anything else, please, oh, please store that in your heart. God hears. Even when we don't deserve to have his ear, God hears. Even when we feel like a worm, God hears. Second, he goes on to marvel at the fact that God disciplines. And perhaps it seems like an odd thing to include in the mercy of God. But that's what Jonah's marveling at. Right? Humanly speaking, he's in this position because of his pride. God had said something to him clearly, but it didn't align with Jonah's feelings. It didn't align with his, his thoughts, and so he said, God, I'm not doing it. And so he ran in the exact opposite direction. It didn't matter that God's word said the exact opposite of his feelings. It didn't matter because Jonah had positioned himself over and above God, which is, by the way, what sin is. Sin is an obstinate heart proclaiming that it knows better than God. And so Jonah had noble excuses for his rebellion. Assyria was wicked. Assyria was hurting people. Assyria didn't deserve a warning. If God had the information that Jonah had, God wouldn't have said what he said. It's a sinful, prideful heart that dares to correct God. What we learn here, and what Jonah marvels at here, is that God loves us too much to allow us to follow our pride into self-ruin. So look with me at verse 3. Jonah says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Notice he starts that verse with the word for. He says, I I cried out and you heard me, and I cried out you answered me for. I know that you answered me because... You threw me into the sea. Now, who threw Jonah into the sea? The sailors threw Jonah into the sea. And they didn't even throw him in until Jonah requested them to do it. But Jonah looks beyond all those causes and he says, ultimately, the cause was you, God. You threw me into the sea. You sent your waves and your billows crashing over me. God, you did this as a response to me crying out to you. One old commentator wisely observes here that A man is a long way on the road to recovery when he's ready to own the righteousness of his chastening and when he sees that he is under the hand of God. Not under the hand of random circumstances, not under the hand of, you know, a a bad situation in life, a bad roll of the dice. No, he's he's looking at, at all these things that has happened and he's getting beyond the excuses and he's saying, God, you did this. You did this. You brought me to this place. And that's good news, because as we read in Hebrews 12, 6, it says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, chastises every son whom he receives. Now, I want to make sure you don't overhear this. I'm not saying that every adversity is discipline. The Bible says there's lots of reasons why we face hard times. Sometimes we face adversity to to cause us to kind of let go of some of the worldly things we're holding on to. Sometimes we face trials because it just reminds us that we've got to keep our eyes fixed in glory. Sometimes we face trials and we have no reason to understand what's happening. You know, we won't know until God tells us in glory. But 
It's often the case that our trials come as a rod of discipline from our Heavenly Father who loves us. It's often the case that our pains are like a barbed wire fence positioned right before the edge of the cliff, alerting us that we're one step away from disaster. That's what's happening here for Jonah. And he's thankful because God's discipline is mercy. Jonah marvels here at the God who cares enough to intervene, who loves him enough to step in, to stop him from going down his road of destruction. So God hears, God disciplines, and then Jonah marvels at this mercy of God because God restores. That's the next thing he sees. Look at verse 4. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Now, the word Jonah uses here for driven is the same Hebrew word that you find in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve are driven away from the garden, from the presence of God. Jonah's considering his circumstances and he's in a lot of danger, but the thing that most concerns Jonah is that he has been separated from God. There's a rupture in his relationship with God. And that, in fact, is the very worst thing that sin does. Sin separates you from the God who made you. Now, the irony here, if you remember from last week, the irony here is that Jonah wanted to separate himself from God. Right? Why, why did Jonah march down to Joppa? Why did Jonah hop on a boat to go to Tarshish? Remember what it said? But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah's lamenting here that, oh, I'm far from God. But that was actually what he wanted. He had convinced himself that there was joy, there was happiness, there was right away from God's will for his life. And so he ran and he ran. But it's a terrible thing to open your eyes and realize you're separated from the living God. It's a fearful thing to realize that you have positioned yourself as an enemy to the author of heaven and earth. It's a sorrowful thing to realize that you've been cast out of the presence of your heavenly father. Jonah realized that he had gotten exactly what he wanted, but what he wanted was not what he needed. And in the depth of his despair, Jonah sensed that there's this rift that sin had created, but, but he also believed that the mercy of God would somehow bridge this great chasm. From the belly of the fish with seaweed wrapped around his head, Jonah could declare, I shall again look upon your holy temple. That is a prayer of faith. No matter how deep you've sunk into your sin, how far removed you feel from the presence of God, if you call out to him, call upon his name in faith, there is restoration for you. Peter preached the exact same thing in his great sermon at Pentecost. He said, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's salvation for the drug addict. Salvation for the hypocrite. Salvation for the adulterer. Salvation for the coward. Salvation for the thief, for the murderer, for the child abuser, for the terrorist. Every single one who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, will be restored. And maybe you're thinking through some of the people on that list, and you, that seems too radical, too scandalous. Actually, Jonah felt exactly the same way, remember? That's why he's in this position. He felt like there were particular people living in Nineveh, terrorists, oppressors, who did not deserve the kindness of God. But here, under the weight of his own sin, 
the scandal of mercy looked like really, really good news. It's funny how that works. That, that mercy that looked like bad news when it was applied to the, the people who hurt us, the people who, who don't deserve it, looks like really, really, really good news when we realize that we need that mercy. And that's the lesson that Jonah's learning in the belly of the fish. He's learning that this is really good news. It's the kind of news that can deliver a man from death to life, which is the final thing that Jonah marvels at here in the belly of this fish. He marvels that God hears and that God disciplines and that God restores. And finally, he marvels at the fact that God revives. Look again at verses 5 to 6. He says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Now, we have no idea how far Jonah sank before he was swallowed by the fish. I have no idea. I can't picture this in my mind. But I would imagine that he probably didn't know how far he sank either. I imagine that Jonah was a little bit flustered. Right, as he's going through the process of, of drowning, thinking I'm drowning, did he open his eyes? Did he see a fish coming? To sw- like, uh, Jonah's probably passing out a couple times through this process, and, and at some point, he's looking around, and pitch black. I've never been in the belly of the fish at the bottom of the sea, but I would imagine Jonah spent a lot of those three days and three nights wondering, am I dead? Am I in shale? He prays that way. In, in chapter 2, verse 2, what we read earlier, he says, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Jonah's not using the language of being trapped in a fish. Jonah's using the language of, of being dead and being brought back from death to life. In verse 6, he says, The bars have closed behind me. So he's seeing himself as in the realm of the dead. When the fish spat him onto the dry land, Jonah saw himself as one who had been brought back from death to life. And in fact, that's exactly the way that the New Testament talks about our plight as sinners. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 2, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Dead. Not deceived. Not misguided. Not wayward. The Bible describes men and women who are living in separation from God as dead in their sin. Apart from God, we're as hopeless as Jonah. Trapped in darkness, descending further and further to the roots of the mountains. We don't need a reformation or a reorientation. We need a revival. That's part of the reason why it's often not until a person who's hit, has hit rock bottom before their eyes are open to see their plight. See, Jonah didn't understand the danger that he was in when he left his house and marched down to Joppa. Didn't understand his danger when he bought the pass to Tarshish when he climbed into the boat, didn't understand the danger even when the the wind was blowing and the waves were crashing. It wasn't until he was finally at the end of himself, right on the cusp of death itself, where Jonah's eyes were opened and he saw, I need to be brought to life. And thankfully, our God is a God who brings dead men to life. Jonah goes on to proclaim, he says, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah declares, you are the God of revival. In the same way, the Apostle Paul, in Ephesians 2, when he just talked about how we were dead in our sin, he goes on to proclaim, but God, being rich in mercy, see that word? Being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Jonah was a sinner. Jonah was a rebel. Jonah deserved to be separated from the presence of God forever. Jonah deserved to sink down into the abyss. The gates of Sheol rightfully closed behind him. They never should have opened. But God. But God is rich in mercy. But God possesses a great love. God extends an incomprehensible grace. God is in the business of scooping dead sinners up out of the pit and launching us into the world as trophies of his kindness. Jonah deserved hell. But God sent a fish to preserve his life. He allowed Jonah to come to the end of himself. Hear that. He allowed Jonah to come to the end of himself. And then he brought his prophet out from the pit of death to engage with his mission. And the Lord spoke to the fish, verse 10, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Thus, chapter 2 concludes with a chastened prophet brought from death to life, marveling afresh at the mercy of God. Before we can conclude, however, I want to I help you to see how this text fits together in your Bible. So far, we've been looking at Jonah in its own context. And so we talked about how this is one of the minor prophetic books. And in this book, there's no word of prophecy, which is interesting for a prophetic book. The story is the prophetic word. And so, not to, not to blow the surprise, but... Surprise, in chapter 4, we're going to learn that Jonah never learned his lesson about mercy. Like, the, the whole point of this story is that Jonah doesn't get mercy, he's angry about it, but then he learns mercy, and he's like, it's great that God's merciful, but then he forgets to extend that mercy to others. That's the story of Jonah. And so we've, we've seen that little piece, we're going to string that out as we move forward. But here's the thing. Jonah forgets his lesson. The Ninevites who repent... They eventually forget their lesson and Assyria gets wiped out by Babylon. And so Jonah forgets and Nineveh forgets and everybody dies. That's, that's the end of this prophetic book. And so you wonder, like, well, what's going on? What, what is, what's the point? How do we understand this as full Bible readers? And then along comes Jesus in Matthew 12. And he points at this story. And he says, it's a sign. It, there was a, Jonah, this whole thing, like, you know, you got to wonder for Israelites reading this story before Jesus, it's a little bit confusing, right? It's like, what was the point of God sending a fish and Jonah being in a fish? Why three days, three nights? What's happening here? Jesus points at it and he says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So what Jesus does here is he points back at that story of Jonah, and he says, don't you get it? That was preparing you for me. That was preparing you to recognize this. And if if my resurrected self, if me going to the grave and coming back to life and proclaiming the good news to you, if that doesn't stir your heart and remind you that you need to surrender to the Lord, then at the final judgment, the men of Nineveh are going to rise up again and they're going to look at you and say, what is wrong with you? We repented when we saw Jonah walking around the streets. Jonah didn't even like us. Jonah hated us. When we repented, Jonah wanted to die. And yet you had the miracle-working Jesus 
full of pity, love and power. Jesus who loved you. Jesus whose heart was full of mercy for you. Who rose up not just from the sea, but from death itself. Holding the keys of death and Hades. Offering resurrected life. And you didn't listen to him? Something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah had no mercy in his heart. But Jesus is full of mercy. I love this old quote. It says, there's more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Isn't that good? More mercy in Christ than sin in us. Oh, you got a lot of sin in you, I bet. I do. A lot of reasons why I should not receive the kindness of God. I shouldn't receive the kindness of any of you. I'm a mess. If you knew me the way I knew myself, the Apostle Paul says this, right? He says, I'm the chief of sinners. Does that mean that there were no people in the world worse than the Apostle Paul? I'm sure that there were, but objectively, the Apostle Paul says, I don't actually know what's going on in their hearts. I I only know what I can see, but I can see all of this. I can see my heart's desires, my thoughts that stray. I'm the chief of sinners. That's, That's the case for all of us. Who of us deserves the kindness of God? The God who searches our hearts, who searches our motives, who sees every thought, every deed, everything we've done in secret, a whole life. Who of us deserves for God to look at all of that and say, you deserve kindness? None of us. But there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 5, we read this. It says, but God. Right? We were dead in our sin. We deserve that death. Levi deserved that death. You deserve that death. We are sinners. The wages of sin is death. That is what we deserve. It's who we are. It's who we were. But God, being rich in what? Being rich in mercy. That mercy that Jonah never figured out. The the mercy that Jonah marveled at but never pressed into his heart. Kindness for people who don't deserve it. But God, being rich in kindness for people who don't deserve it. Because of the great love with which he loved us when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive, together with Christ. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that propel you to to tell everyone? I mean, we talked last week about how we, how dare we ever withhold this good news from others? How dare we ever look at someone and say, he doesn't deserve grace, she doesn't deserve mercy. No, 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 don't you get it? You're right, they don't, but neither do you. And yet, here we are. God being rich in mercy has brought us to life. Are you at the end of yourself today? Good. There's no better place to learn about the mercy of God. That's what Jonah learned. God is overflowing with kindness that you do not deserve. So cry out to him like Jonah from the belly of the fish. And marvel with Jonah that God hears. And God disciplines. And God restores. And God revives. That's who he is. That's how he loves. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that there wouldn't be a single man or woman or boy or girl in this room who does not lay hold of the mercy of God in Christ today. I I imagine that there are people here today who think that they've laid hold of it, who think that they're saved, who think that they understand you and their relationship with you, and yet they're still trying to earn your mercy, and they don't understand that it's a kindness that they could never deserve. God, I pray for them. I pray that they would see today that Jesus died on the cross because we could never deserve it and that freely he has given us life. And as we confess our sins and we look to Christ, as we call upon his name, we are saved. I pray for salvation today.
I pray for people who've never heard the good news of the gospel. I pray that, God, it would be so clear right now. And Lord, I, I thank you that there's nothing that I could possibly say that would awaken a dead heart, but that when you speak, when you press the word in, there's nothing that could stop it from working. And dead hearts will come to life. I pray for dry bones today to rattle and form, to be covered with flesh and for, for you to breathe life. Lord, for dead people to come to life. I pray for renewal, restoration, for freedom. Uh, Lord, I ask for all of these things in faith because Jesus purchased all of these things for us. And he's rich in mercy. And he delights to see people surrender their lives and turn to you. So God, I pray for that today. Lord, please let that happen. And Lord, I pray that for maybe for those who, who would say, yes, I see this, I love this, I delight in this. I pray that we'd see it more. I pray that we would see it afresh. I pray that you would just open our eyes and our hearts a little wider to be transformed by this incredible mercy because God, the more we receive your mercy and love and kindness, the more we extend it to others, the more effective we are for this life that you've called us to live, to be disciple makers, to go out to all the world. So God, I I pray that you'd help us. And Lord, now as we respond with a song, I pray that again, it would be more than words, but it would be the cry of our hearts, Lord. I pray that we would, we would live lives of worship that respond to this grace we've received. And I pray for all these things in Jesus' mighty, saving name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Worship team, would you lead us? I was just thinking when Pastor